Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 1132 of the Juice Box Podcast. Shannon is 36 years old. She was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at 21. And right now, she's in her third year of grad school to be a mental health counselor. Today, we're going to talk about a lot. Her upbringing, where things went wrong with her type 1 diabetes, and so much more. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you use my link, drinkag1.com forward slash juice box, you'll get a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first order of AG1. And you'll save 40% off of your entire order at cozyearth.com when you use the offer code juicebox at checkout. If you're looking for support and community, find the Juicebox Podcast private Facebook group and become a member. Then it'll just be you and 45,000 of your closest friends. And don't forget to check out the Pro Tip series and the Bowl Beginning series at juiceboxpodcast.com. US Med is sponsoring this episode of the Juicebox Podcast, and we've been getting our diabetes supplies from US Med for years. You can as well. USMed.com slash juicebox or call 888-721-1514. Use the link or the number, get your free benefits check, and get started today with U.S. Med. Today's episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Dexcom, makers of the Dexcom G7 and G6 continuous glucose monitoring systems. Dexcom.com slash juice box. So I'm Shannon. I got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 21 years old, which was 15 years ago. I live in New York City. Um, but I'm originally from California. I am going to grad school and I work at a cafe and I have three cats and I have about 200 plants and that's pretty much it to start off. <laughs> Hold on a second. All right. <laughs> Wait a minute. You were how old when you were diagnosed? I was 21. And that was 15 years ago. Yep. But you're, in, gra- but you're in grad school. But I'm in grad school as an old lady, yes. How did that happen? Well, so I originally went to college uh, straight out of high school, um, as per my parents' wishes. Unfortunately, they didn't require that I study something useful. Mm-hmm. So I, <laughs> I uh, studied photography. I became a photojournalist for many, many years on like a freelance basis, which... This was quite a while ago. Um, so I, at the time, there was no Affordable Care Act. There was not really options for f- freelancers as far as like health insurance goes. So that was a whole situation. And um, I always kind of, it's, it's a hustle out there when you're, when you're trying to find freelance work. Mm-hmm. And so I always kind of coupled my photography stuff with with other random jobs like really random stuff yeah so i've i've kind of just been floating around in that world for a long time in 2020 when the pandemic hit 
I lost the majority of my work because I was my my photography stuff. It was a lot of like events and that sort of thing, which of course dropped off during the pandemic. And I had been ready for a long time to kind of start something else, go in a different direction. So I was just sitting there one day, locked down in my house and decided to start taking like free online courses. Took one in sociology, took a few like psychology ones, thought this is interesting and ended up applying for grad school to do counseling and didn't get in the first time. My background, you know, is in in photography. photography. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's not a requirement that you have to have uh, undergrad background for this particular program. You don't have to have an undergrad background in psychology or 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 social services or anything like that they actually kind of pride themselves in having like an eclectic group of people with all sorts of different backgrounds but nonetheless I did not make it in but my very supportive partner he urged me to apply again and I got in and yeah so I'm going to be starting my third year third and final year of the program I've wow. been sort of part-time throughout and um, yeah, doing like an internship as part of my fieldwork requirements. And by this time next year, I will hopefully be working out in the field wow, as a that? as a mental health counselor. Good for you. Well, that's really wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're one of the Thanks. people who actually, Thanks. like we all were like, hey, while we're locked down, you know what I should do? I'll learn. So you, you actually did it. <laughs> well, it had been a long time coming. It it had been, as I said, I I always had to pick up additional work. And I was for a long time too, my, my family has a um, construction business. And so very generously, they, for several years, as I was building up my photography career, they, they let me work for their construction business remotely, um, which was a very flexible and easy source of income. So I feel very privileged to have had that opportunity, but it just was not not something I'm interested in at all. And yeah. so for many, many years, I was like, I gotta, I gotta find an escape and <laughs> go do something else. So, so you the, were... the pandemic was sort of an excuse to do that. Yeah. No kidding. Listen, while you were doing that, I was seeing if I could watch all seven seasons of new girl. So <laughs> did you do it? I did very successfully. Yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, I, I watched my ve- a very fair share of, uh, <laughs> Netflix as well. So, um, or what's New Girl on? Is it on Hulu? It was on Netflix. It just moved to Hulu. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I go through binge watching of shows too, especially this summer. I towards the end of that school year, I was getting pretty burnt out, and then I had to take a summer class, which ended about a month ago. And since then, I think I've watched like five full series on <laughs> on Netflix and other you're streaming rela- you're services. Now. Yeah. So, okay, so tell, let's talk about uh, just one last question. You were getting your health care through your parents' company. Is that right? Diabetes comes with a lot of things to remember. So it's nice when someone takes something off of your plate. U.S. Med has done that for us. When it's time for Arden's supplies to be refreshed, we get an email. Rolls up and in your inbox says, Hi, Arden, this is your friendly reorder email from U.S. Med. You open up the email. It's a big button that says, Click here to reorder. And you're done. Finally, somebody taking away a responsibility instead of adding one. US Med has done that for us. An email arrives, we click on a link, and the next thing you know, 
your products are at the front door. That simple. USmed.com slash juicebox or call 888-721-1514. I never have to wonder if Arden has enough supplies. I click on one link. I open up a box. I put the stuff in the drawer and we're done. US Med carries everything from insulin pumps and diabetes testing supplies to the latest CGMs like the Libre 3 and the Dexcom G7. They accept Medicare nationwide, over 800 private insurers, and all you have to do to get started is call 888-721-1514 or go to my link usmed.com slash juicebox. Using that number or my link helps to support the production of the Juicebox podcast. Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Dexcom, and I'd like to take this opportunity to tell you a little bit about the continuous glucose monitor that my daughter wears, the Dexcom G7. The Dexcom G7 is small, it is accurate, and it is easy to use and wear. Arden has been wearing a Dexcom G7 since almost day one of when they came out, and she's having a fantastic experience with it. We love the G6, but man is the G7 small. The profile, so much closer to your body. The weight, you can't really feel it. And that's coming from me, and I've worn one. I've worn a G6, I've worn a G7. I found both of the experiences to be lovely, but my gosh, is that G7 tiny. And the accuracy has been fantastic. Arden's A1Cs are right where we expect them to be, and we actually use the Dexcom Clarity app to keep track of those things. That app is built right in to Arden's Dexcom G7 app on her iPhone. Oh, did you not know about that? You can use an iPhone or an Android device to see your Dexcom data. If you have a compatible phone, your Dexcom goes right to the Dexcom app. You don't have to carry the receiver, but if you don't want to use the phone, that's fine. Use the Dexcom receiver. It's up to you. Choice is yours with Dexcom. Dexcom.com slash juicebox. I was not, no. So, hmm, how do I begin with that? It's kind of a, it's kind of a show. Sorry, you're going to have to bleep that out. But when I was, let's see, when I was diagnosed, I was 21. This was in 2008. And the, at the time, you could be on your parents' insurance, I think, until you were 23. So I was good for a couple of years. Um, I was sort of finishing out school, and I ca- but I had this impending knowledge that once I graduated, I was going to have to like find a job with benefits. And so, right then, like I think it was 2010, and don't quote me on this. Politics is not my strong point, but um, Obamacare came on to the scene, and he extended it from age 23 to 26. Um, that you can stay on your parents' insurance. That's the way it still is, right? Yeah, I think so. Yes. Okay. So stayed on my parents' insurance till I was 26, which gave me more of a buffer. So I just decided to kind of keep screwing off. And I decided I was going to do something adventurous and fun. So I moved to New York City all the while, you know, still getting photography gigs, but still also working mostly food service jobs as a supplemental income. Before I knew it, I was 26, and about one month after I turned 26, so I stayed on Cobra for like I think it was a month or two. My parents generously paid for that um, or helped me pay for it. I can't remember exactly. 
they paid for COBRA and then the Affordable Care Act was like fully onto the scene and you could finally apply for health insurance with a pre-existing condition Mm -hmm. just to get an individual plan. So I was able to do that. It really sucked in the beginning because not many providers were interested in accepting this new weird insurance that was, you know, through the state. So I had really, really slim pickings as far as doctors went, which was sort of my norm anyway. I was not great as far as um, keeping a regular endocrinologist on on board. And so I kind of just wanted to get my prescriptions and that's all I cared about. So, so Sean, yeah. Sean, hold on. So you sound like a, mm-hmm. like a, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Is it a vagabond? Uh, what is the, like, what, why, <laughs> what, what happened? What, what, is it just your personality? Like the, the kind of jumping around and like, you know, they made you go to college, but you went for photography. Like, what is all that? Do you have brothers and sisters? I have two younger sisters. Yeah. So I'm the oldest. My, we're all two years apart. So my, my young, my middle sister is two years younger than me. And then the other one's two years younger than her. Okay. Was, uh-huh. was and it a free lifestyle in, you know, growing they're up? They're the same way. I've got one sister that's a drummer in bands. And then I got another sister who dabbles in comedy and writing right, and cool. bartending. And she's also a mother of two incredible kids. She's an amazing mother. So we're we're an interesting bunch. Hold on a second. Were were the parents real <laughs> successful in the in the construction? So yeah, what's interesting about my parents is that neither of them really my dad didn't even graduate high school. Sorry, dad, that I'm telling the world that, but he he met my mom when he was in his senior year of high school. She was as well. And he was just all so wrapped up in that that he stopped going to class and didn't get like one final credit to graduate. Wow. So, so Whoa, well, luckily, hold on, hold though, on. What's he, your mom got yeah. going on? What did you, what she say? <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's like a cute little five foot two, you know, she was like 95 pounds at the time. Adorable. Right, I'm getting the picture now. It's coming together. Sassy, for me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, very, very smart and witty woman. So mm. he was, uh, yeah. Take he was it. in love. Yeah, yeah, he certainly was. He's like, I forget about everything else. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Mm-hmm. So your parents have kind of a free lifestyle feeling, like a free mindset as well? N- no. no. So what's what's weird is that they, so they both, like my my dad had a connection in the in the construction industry. And he's a, he's a smart guy. He just is. He he just a naturally smart person. Mm -hmm. He moved his way up and my mom, same thing. She's really like financial oriented. Like, um, she's not a CPA, but she's done a lot of bookkeeping and accounting in her life and talks to me about all the stuff that I could really care less about. Um, but she just loves thing, all things money. And they ended up, so we, we lived in Los Angeles at the time after they had had a couple of kids the earthquake of 1994 hit and we were like at the epicenter and our na- our surrounding neighborhood was like depleted. Um, we lived in a van for like several months and then kind of upgraded to a motor home that somebody loaned us. And in this haste, they put together a, their own construction company um, to fix up the rebuilds. Yeah. Do, yeah. Do the rebuilds. Okay. And it, um, you know, they're, like I said, they're, they're very, they're kind of like 
scrappy but very um, innovative uh-huh. people, and they they just made it work. So they make out well in the rebuilds, and you grow up in a house that's financially comfortable. Financially comfortable, yes. Like especially looking back, because they used to kind of complain about money. They used to fight about money. That kind of typical yeah. thing. It was a stressor for them, but. When I think about my own life now and how little I have compared to them when they were my age, it's uh, you know it's a very generational thing. I'm a I'm like hardcore in the middle of. I couldn't be more millennial, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're hardcore boomers, and they really they had a lot. They owned houses, cars, you know. They had savings, all of that stuff, yeah. and they were trying so hard to instill that in us. I can't even tell you, Scott, what our allowance system was like and what our we had chore charts. We had everything. And they were really trying hard to instill this like discipline. They got a drummer, really a comedian backfired. and a photographer. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. Just, I was exactly. really, I'm just trying to figure out how that happened. Like, like I, my first thought, my first thought was that maybe your parents just had a bunch of money but they grew up kind of broke so that they were kind of in the middle with the way they parented and wanted you to have like a carefree lifestyle. Um, But it sounds like that's not the case. It sounds like they tried really hard to get you to do that and none of you took to it. Yeah, they did. They tried really hard, but I think it was an interesting combination of they wanted us to be disciplined people. They wanted us to like be on the straight and narrow but they, at the same time, they wanted to afford us what some options and opportunities that they didn't have, you know, kind of, yeah. kind of typical, like they, they did grow up. Both of them were the babies of huge families, mm-hmm. um, pretty much got ignored. They were just latchkey kids, a lot of divorces ha- happening, all, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of tragic stuff too. And I think they just wanted us to have, they did want us to have a carefree life. Mm-hmm. And growing up, I was very, very obsessed with playing soccer. And they, they told me from the beginning, like, yeah, you should and could be a professional soccer player. And I believed it. And it was all about follow your dreams. And I, I did for a while. And I was on this path of playing, um, I mean, you know about this stuff with your son, but mm-hmm. I was um, on this path of playing collegiate soccer. I had coaches, um, you know, coming out to watch me and that sort of thing. And then I and then I quit midseason right before I was supposed to go to college. <laughs> um, wait, I had wait, just wait, had wait. enough. <laughs> you just had enough of soccer. Uh huh. Okay. How old were you when you were like, "That's enough of that"? Like seventeen. Well. Yeah, it was sort of, it wasn't that I didn't like the sport. I, I loved it. I don't know if I could play it now, but it was more so than this. Uh, maybe this happens with, with baseball too, but there's just a lot of politics, a lot of weird stuff with the parents that are involved in these club sports and um, people get mean. The, the girls I was playing with got mean. And it was more of like the social side of it that I was just very burnt out on. Sure. You know, around 17, 18, like it, those years, my teenage years were not great for me. So that, yeah, I think that kind of came out of that. Okay. Your teenage years weren't great for you. Why? So we lived in Southern California and, and moved up to Northern California when I was starting middle school. I know it sounds it's like same state, but it's it's worlds away. Yeah. 
you know, truly like almost 600 miles away and I knew nobody and I'm starting this new school and I just became, you know, I was, um, I came from a situation down in Los Angeles where I had 40 cousins that were, we would get together like every other weekend. We'd have family gatherings. It was very tight knit and my parents kind of just took us away from all of that. And, um, you're starting it, over. It was starting over. Yeah. And, and I was incredibly self-conscious. Um, I didn't know what to do. I, I was I was very lost. And I, you know, I was trying to make friends. And it was just a struggle. And, and the kids were so mean. Like, so mean. So bullying, not to, like, dive in too deep here. But, like, a lot of, like, sexual harassment was going on. From with the, the boys. Huh? From kids your age? From the kid. Oh, yeah. Okay. Bad. Really bad. And that carried into high school. And, you know, I just kind of stuck my head in the sand and just all I cared about was soccer. I never once went to a party. I didn't have a boyfriend. None of that stuff. So it was kind of weird. No kidding. All right. Jeez. (laughs) So I don't know if I'm painting a picture um, of like how... Yeah, it's funny, too, because my partner now, he wonders about this. He's like, how did you come from this family where your parents are so they're so like financial oriented and they're very by the book um, with a lot of things. And then all of you and your sisters are so just like doing whatever you want and like not thinking about the consequences. (laughs) How do you get through? So this is interesting to me. How do you get through? Mm -hmm. How do you get through life? like that like do you is it are you very focused on now and not so much future issues like how do you like i'm uh i'm doing the math i'm like 16 years older than you right okay Mm -hmm. I, i i get up every day in a slight panic that i can't afford things and that my uh-huh. kid and that my kids won't be okay and that i won't be okay and that i'll end up in a home where somebody who doesn't care about me lets me sit in my own poo for two days. Mm-hmm. Do you not worry about any of that stuff? No. And it, it's so interesting that we're talking about this because it has been a topic lately. And it's something that in my grad school program that we talk about a lot, like recognizing our own story, our background story, where we come from, and like the privileges that we've enjoyed or haven't enjoyed. And I, I think what going on here, Scott, is that I'm a very privileged person. I think it's just, I never had to worry about that. My parents and those like 40 cousins and aunts and uncles and grandma, Mm -hmm. they love us so much and they would do anything for us. And I, that's the world I've always existed in. I've never had to really think like, oh, wow, like maybe somebody won't take care of me. And not to say like I work hard, I I do, but it's I don't have that that impending like oh gosh, what if I don't have the money for this? Mm-hmm. What is there a um I don't know a nice way to say this? Is there a big pile of earthquake money somewhere that you feel like will be yours one day? Well, earthquake money. Um, you know yeah, I mean, I mean yeah. they've built up this business. It's it's become very like the clients that they have now. I'm not going to start listing the clients, but like they have these clients that are very big global names. Mm-hmm. Um, LeBron that they work James. For. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, no, not like individuals, but um, yeah, uh, like brand names, the household brand names, you know. So Shannon, th- there's an expectation that there'll be uh, money to divvy up when mom and dad shuffle off the mortarquo. Yes, but at the same time, I don't think I don't even think about that. I wouldn't think know? about it either like, if it was happening. I'd be like, Woo! if it was happening, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> what if your yeah, mom no, and dad they, hear this they, and just piss it all away? They're just like, you know what? We realize we did you a disservice. <laughs> uh, yeah, they they might. I think they did realize it at a certain point. Mm-hmm. And I know, Scott, you've been kind of you've become an empty nester over the last year or two and my parents went through that i guess about 10 years ago yeah when we all finally left and we didn't just leave we like left left like other states across the country see at christmas (laughs) uh Yeah. yeah and they had i mean they had a really 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 hard time sure with that it it wasn't pretty and um I don't know why I was just talking about that, but they, I, I think it, oh, I think they sort of realized like they kind of, something in their parenting made us feel like we could just do that and it would be okay. And so I think they, they've taken a step back and realized like, oh, maybe we made a couple of interesting choices along the way that made our kids turn out like this and leave us. <laughs> so You can do anything, including abandon us. Yep, pretty much. Pretty much. Being like using hindsight, Chen, as an example, because you brought it up, could you really have been a professional soccer player? I think actually I could have. Okay. I, I, that, that, maybe that's just a product of, you know, I know. I mean, yeah, um, I believe that you believe it, but I wanted, what I want to know is like, (laughs) (laughs) what I want to know is like, did you run? a substantial uh 60 yard dash are you like nothing but muscle and and fit and like like really oh i was you I were was. then okay All yeah. Right. yeah yeah and by the way you know that professional female soccer players didn't make anything 15 years ago right like oh i'm well aware because yeah, yeah. my i mean we we were so ingrained into this soccer culture like my parents we would take I feel like I've brought up my parents a thousand times now, but they would take us to these collegiate games nearby. We'd watch these players go from the college world up to the professional world. And there was a, there was a women's league that was like born at that time. And after I think, I don't know, a couple of short years, it folded. Um, But when they were, in you know starting out and everything we would go to all these games we were like very invested and yes like i i was um picked regionally to be on what they call i think it was for the state um the olympic development program so like i was doing pretty well in in the sport and very small very fast um i wasn't like you know big and muscly but i was just i was quick and i was a smart player but None of that I don't think I could do now. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing my best to look here. And like top tier female soccer players right now are making a quarter of a million dollars a year. But most of them make like forty to $80,000, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so, there again, Scott, I wasn't thinking about money. I no. was thinking about, I don't know what. Yeah. Anything but money. So I get the idea. I'm not coming down on your parents either. I just find this really interesting. <laughs> plus, you're, plus what you're going to school for. Let me be honest, Shannon. I find that a lot of people who like who go into like psychotherapy as a profession uh-huh. really are interested in figuring out themselves. 
themselves. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This right. whole thing has been a therapeutic invention for me. Yeah, if you end <laughs> up helping somebody else, that'll be a bonus. <laughs> so, uh-huh. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but, but I get uh-huh. I get the idea behind telling your kids like you can do anything, but you really believed it to a level that might not have been completely healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you you believe in yourself too much is what I think. <laughs> Yes, in in some ways, I guess they. Yeah, we were put on a bit of a, a pedestal. I think mm-hmm. you know, yeah, and it's it's been an interesting journey to break away from that. Right. As an example, right, I'll use myself as an example for a second. I am aware. I will never say it on this podcast. I am aware of what my IQ is. Okay. Uh-huh. And it's impressive. Okay. But I can't do simple math. Like I'm like I can't learn algebra i i can't mm-hmm. i can't rem- if if my foot's wrapped up right now if i unwrapped my foot and tried to rewrap it i wouldn't be able to remember how it came off <laughs> like yeah. not even kidding okay and and i i started with literally nothing and thought that's what my life would be but i knew in my head it didn't need to be i was like i know i can achieve more than where i am right now but and and every time i made a leap I set my mind to something and I successfully moved towards it, mm-hmm. but I never celebrated it. I never went, yeah, see that I'm smart. I can do this. I'm always telling myself you're going to lose. <laughs> like mm-hmm. this is going to go bad. You have to keep trying. And, and you are like, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> I mean, I think, I yeah. don't know. I'm not saying one's right or wrong. It's just really interesting. You know what I mean? No, it, it yeah. is. It's very interesting. And it's, it's so interesting to me that this was like the route that we ended up taking in this conversation because okay. I think you like zeroed in on it. This whole, whole approach to life has had a huge effect on how I approach my diabetes. Mm-hmm. I was wondering. Go ahead. Okay. So I was 21 when I was diagnosed. I was finishing up school and um, was kind of coming into this thing where I wanted to be independent and live my own life. And it's kind of an awkward age to be diagnosed because I technically, I had been back living at home, especially like in the summers and stuff um, when I was home from school, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't enough for my parents to like, they weren't going to help me or take care of me with my, with my um, management of type one diabetes. And that's that I was okay with that. I wanted that because I wanted everybody to believe that I, that everything was perfectly fine. And when I say everybody, Scott, I mean the very few people that I actually let know I had diabetes. Mm -hmm. I was so, so afraid and still, I, quite honestly, I still am about people knowing I had diabetes because I was afraid that they would say all the wrong things, ask me all the wrong questions and doubt me in certain ways. And I just wanted to believe in myself and believe that I could do it. And I did crazy things to avoid anyone knowing about my diabetes, to making sure I was the best at diabetes and it wore on me for like a long time. Mm-hmm. This was, I mean, this was kind of my mode of operation. Had I come on the podcast five years ago, which is when I started listening, 
I would have just sat there and probably tried to convince you about how good I am at diabetes, how I know everything. And I, in the last few years, certainly listening to the podcast has helped. Uh, this school program has helped me a lot, but I've just been trying to let go of that idea that I have to be the best at diabetes, that I have to, I, I, it's a, it's a hot mess. I hate it's, it's hard. It's really hard every day. And I, the fact that I can actually admit that is like a huge step for me. Good for you. Were you really good at it or were you just telling Mm. yourself you were good at it? So I was pretty good. Okay. I. What did that mean? So I was MDI until I started listening to the podcast. Um, Dexcom and Omnipod. Scott made me uh, believe in you. So that's what I use now for the sponsors that are listening. Thank but you. I was <laughs> was MDI for the first 10 years of having type 1 diabetes. But it was like I went through a lot of test strips. I was trying to act like my own CGM before Mm -hmm. I even knew anything about CGMs. Um, I was testing several times an hour. We're talking like 20, 30 times a day. I was, my, my A1Cs were, you know, when I was diagnosed, I think I was around 10. That's the only number I remember ever being outside of the sixes. Um, so I was, you know, I was higher sixes for, for the MDA time, um, sorry, MDI, uh, time. So it was like 6.7 and lower, I think. Okay. Throughout all that. Um, when I was first diagnosed, I, so this was in like 2008. So the internet was like a very different place. I didn't know any other type ones in my real life. And there wasn't like this online, like diabetes community. But I did a search and I ended up finding this girl who (laughs) she was like very, she was very pretty. She, she seemed like she had it all together. She was very fit and she was preaching this idea. She was type one diabetic that she could make it so that she didn't have to take any long acting insulin. Okay. And I, this was like within the first few months of being diagnosed, I was probably still honeymooning and I was like very regimented about what I was eating and everything. I was like, oh, well, yeah, I can do that too. I even like contacted this girl. We met up at a certain point. She was like my idol. And I was like on this quest to like prove to myself that I didn't need long acting insulin. And I was down to taking, I think like five units a day or something like that. For reference, I take like, and it depends on the, the point in my cycle that I'm at, but I, I'm usually like 30, 40 units a day now. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, I would, I was also doing my own vagabond thing and trying to, trying to, I don't know, survive in my own little way. And I would, I didn't want to like ask my parents for money. So when I couldn't like, and I was really bad at just like doing basic things like going to the pharmacy. So one time I was leaving for a trip and I was going to go on some road trip, going to visit a cousin um, who had just had twins. And I was going to kind of like help her with the babies and stuff. And I realized that I didn't have, I hardly had any insulin left in my fridge to take on this trip. And I was like, oh, well, it's fine. Like, I'll just, I'll just like not eat any carbs. This is going to be great. 
And I, um, I get there. This is my whole plan. We go out to lunch. Um, I have a artichoke, which I thought was going to be like carb free or something. <laughs> and it wasn't. And my, my blood sugar is shooting up. So I kind of told my cousin what I was doing. And she's like, are you insane? And she took me straight to the pharmacy. I remember we were standing, we were there for so long. We had to, we found this, um, charger, this wall charger or like a plug up on the wall where we had to plug in our phones. Cause we were calling my insurance company, like for, you know, and being on hold for like an hour as we're standing there in the pharmacy. Anyway, she, she ends up getting me the insulin and I stopped trying to eat low carb and ration my insulin and, and whatever. So like I was doing weird stuff. <laughs> Let me tell you something while I move around. So two things, an artichoke, a medium artichoke has 13 grams of carbs in it. Um, mm -hmm. And I have to put my foot up now prescribed by a doctor. So you're going to hear some noise. Sorry about that. Okay. I, I'm Good. not, I'm not allowed to sit that long with my, so hold on. This is, I've never done this podcast this way before. Oh, okay. Now my foot's on my desk. <laughs> And the, and the microphone's on a boom. If I fall asleep, it's not you. I'm just very, <laughs> very laid back right now. Okay. <laughs> I'd like to, like, bring something up. Mm -hmm. So the other day, I was on the, uh, the social media, and mm -hmm. I saw a person with type 1 diabetes who I know makes a living selling their, uh, I'm making air quotes, selling their coaching to other people. Mm -hmm. This person mm -hmm. is in incredibly good shape. And I mean, visually, you look at them and think, I wish even just my leg looked like that. You know, like that, that's <laughs> yeah. the, the kind of like amazing health they appear to be in. And then I, it, it made me scroll through their feed and mm -hmm. I saw their blood sugars that just bounce up and down all day long. They're high and they're low and they're high mm -hmm. and they're low, but they look terrific. And I thought, mm -hmm. I thought, wow, they're selling that knowledge to people like selling it, yeah. selling it to them and and you got so th wait they were posting their numbers yeah yeah yeah, yeah the graph comes hmm. up look at my graph i'm like yeah, wait what mm -hmm. 250 70 300 oh. 60 like up and down and up and down and i'm like and, and but what i realized is that there are plenty of people who look at that it's what you said to me what you said a minute ago about mm -hmm. that you found an attractive person like yeah. it was an attractive person with diabetes. And I thought that's what this is. Like people don't know what they don't know. And so if this person's graph doesn't deter people, they're doing business. They are young, mm -hmm. younger people are going to them and getting diabetes advice from them. And, mm -hmm. th and they're paying yep. for it on, on top of all that. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's not lost on me that a lot of people might have been in the situation you found yourself in. Like, I just need something like it. We could make fun of the fact that you were going to leave your house without insulin. Of, of <laughs> course, that's ridiculous. I, I love that. You're just like, I'm so carefree, but uh, uh, I'm going to go see the baby now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. Yep. And you don't think to yourself, like, I need insulin to do that. No, I mean, I, I did. I, I'm really also very hard on myself. So I'm kicking myself. I'm like, Oh my God, like, what's my deal? I'm an adult. I should, I should have gone and gotten that insulin, but nope, no, no, no. We're going to fix this in some weird way. Not, not fix it in the right way where I just postpone the trip a little and it's all go get the insulin out. and all that. It's all going to um, work out. You think? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. But you feel that way about everything. I guess I do. Yeah. Here's, um, a, here's a question. 
does everything always work out? Absolutely not. Oh. No way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that made me laugh. <laughs> um, I don't. <laughs> I, so while it seems like, you know, I had this this upbringing that was quite privileged and sheltered, I have since left that and created my own life in, in New York City, of all places. Yeah. Um, so there are things that happen to me that are very, very serious and very like I've had major traumatic life events happen to me. And um, will you so be, it's, will it's you not be like I'm living in some dream world yeah. anymore. <laughs> will you will you share those like something that changed your perspective? Well, let's see. I mean, first, we can think, you know, the the type one diabetes happening was a huge shock to my existence. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that was one of the first things that happened where I was kind of shook out of my, my typical way of thinking, I guess. Um, I, it's still like, I was sort of illustrating, like it's still sort of carried over into that, but as the years went on and I, and I grappled with it, very in a very alone type of way. Like I, I really isolated myself because of the fact that I didn't want anyone to know how difficult it was. And I didn't want anyone to know at all. You know, I mean, I, I worked for a, just as one example, I, one of my jobs that I picked up um, through, along the way was being a nanny. And I was a nanny for this family for like two years watching their baby who, you know, he's like one year old. And I never told them the whole time that I had type one diabetes. Wow. Somehow. And like the mom like worked from home. Like, I don't know how I just like hid this the whole time. And I was like actively hiding it. Hmm. Because, because people would think that you were lesser somehow if they knew. Yes. Yes. Like I really have a problem with that. And that's been kind of the, the catalyst to, you know, eventually as I, as I make this very, you know, different career change, I'm still figuring out what it is exactly I want to do. But, um, I hope to work with individuals who are like living with chronic illness because I think I have this like understanding of, what it's like to just be ashamed of it, to be isolated with it, and to not know how to like integrate it into your life in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. Can if I? That ask, makes sense. I have a question. Yeah. So, so if you were a practicing person right now, I mean, you're three years mm -hmm. into a master's degree, so you're pretty mm -hmm. far. You're pretty far along. Getting there. Yeah. yeah. And you heard yourself talking. What would you say mm -hmm. to you? What would you say to yourself? It's a good question. And I ask myself that a lot. What I've learned a lot throughout the program is not so much like, like it's going to be my job to give myself or anybody else like straight up advice, right? I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm barely even going to tell you what I think, but it's more of a situation where it's my job to, to ask questions and get, get that person to kind of or get myself to look a little more introspectively and figure out where these feelings are coming from, you know, mm -hmm. 
and, and there's different approaches, of course, um, different, different theories, but mine is sort of stemming a little bit into, um, psychoanalysis and figuring out like what from your past is, and what patterns have you been adopting uh, your whole life that have led you to this way of being now? Right. Well, it's why I asked you if you thought you were really an excellent soccer player or not, Mm -hmm. because, Mm -hmm. you know, that idea that being told that everything is okay or everything's fantastic and you actually Mm -hmm. knowing that it's not, that's the difference, right? Like, like, especially when you're a kid, like you can't blow smoke up people's asses, especially children, because they're not unaware. And, Mm -hmm. and you telling them like my, my son has this way of like, when we're being like supportive of my son, he will stop sometimes and say, Hey, are you just saying that because you're my dad or is this, Mm -hmm. or is this real? Mm-hmm. And, and and that's when I know that he doesn't know. Yeah. Be- because I've also said like uplifting things to him that he's looked back at me like, dude, that's not true. And, you know, and that's when you're as a parent just trying to be like, oh, God, they're in a bad spot right now. Like, let me just be positive. Mm-hmm. And then you realize I, I did, at least as you got older, like there's no real value in that. Like you're lying. What you're doing is you're lying to them. You, you know, you're, yeah. you're, you're telling them a lie to save them from feeling bad when the truth is they need to know the truth or they're going to like bark up the wrong tree over and over, Mm -hmm. over and over again, you know, with this idea that everything is possible and that, and that they are the top of whatever pile they're going to try to climb on top of and that nothing's going to stop them. I don't think things should stop you. I do think mm-hmm. at some point you you should be able to assess the situation and go, hey, this is not going well. Y- you know, like maybe this isn't my thing. Yeah. So so that was my question. Like you mm-hmm. you know the truth. Does it it doesn't help to hear an alternative idea? Like so there's a difference between honesty and motivation, I guess. I don't know what I'm saying. I think you're, yeah. you know what I mean? I think motivation needs to be rooted in, uh, in truth. In honesty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's why I tend to cringe uh, and I don't want to make any, anyone upset or self-conscious because I see this a lot, you know, on the Facebook page, everything where it's like, oh, diabetes cannot stop my child from doing anything. They're a warrior. I appreciate the sentiment, I guess. And I understand like parents are in a really tough spot, but I think like that's the sort of, and there was an episode with Erica that was so great. And I actually like transcribed it and and posted it about, she talks about, um, you know, that sort of family culture of like, we can do anything we want and nothing's going to stop us. It, It can end up backfiring, you know? Yeah. What did you talk about? You said something. You said something funny about um, grit, essentially, like putting so much emphasis on this this idea of grit and like, oh, well, I'm going to push through, and not stopping to just maybe feel the hard feelings and feel like, well, you know, maybe today I can't do it all. Like I feel like my blood sugar has been bouncing up and down for days i need to i just need to stop like i i i have to take a break Mm -hmm. and how that is a 
that takes a different kind of strength in a way. And it, and I think that's really important for people to, to know, because I think I was, you know, I was brought up with that idea, um, around other things. It wasn't diabetes because I wasn't a kid with diabetes, but I was brought up with that mindset in general. And then I applied it to diabetes and it, and I still sort of like, I I've gotten comments from like my mom and stuff that are sort of like, I was, I was at their house, um, a, a couple of months ago, just visiting with them. And I was really open and honest about how much I have been struggling lately with some of my diabetes technology and my numbers and how I've really had a hard time exercising with diabetes, you know, all this stuff, stuff that I never would have shared before because I didn't want anyone to think that I wasn't doing well. And God bless her. But her response was, well, you know, because I, I, I ended with, yeah, it basically really sucks. And she's like, well, but there again, it could be something way worse. Yeah. And I just, I was sort of stopped in my tracks. I I didn't know what to say at that point. Right. Yeah. 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 Sure. I could have had my arm ripped off by a tiger at the (laughs) zoo, but that doesn't make what I just said any less impactful on my life. Yeah. Yeah, And, you know, you've had several people on the show who have multiple health concerns and you've asked the question like, okay, if you could if you could take one of them away, what would it be? And so many people have said the diabetes, like, because it really, it's, it is a lot harder than anyone would ever imagine. I think, you know, what's interesting, Shannon, is that if you were to, if you would have just posed that as a question to me, Scott, you've asked a lot of people with multiple health conditions, which one would they take away? Mm -hmm. I would have told you that it's my recollection that people don't choose their diabetes. Oh, really? But moreover, that they don't, they never choose what I think they're going to choose. Ah. That's the, and so I wonder how much of that is your interpretation of it. True. Like the diabetes is something you would take away, obviously. And so when you hear people say that, you agree with them. And when you don't hear people say that, I wonder how it hits you differently. I mean, and yeah, I, very, very true. You know, and, and I could be wrong too, but I'm, so from my personal perspective, I'm never right. Like, I always think to myself, they're going to say this. And then they say, and I'm like, huh, how about that? I misunderstand how they experience these things. Like, like even after talking to them, like, they're for certain going to say, you know, and then they don't. Or, or sometimes they do, but, like, I'm, I'm always shocked by it. It's mm-hmm. just, it's fascinating. Like, it really is. But you're, so your mom doesn't, well, she doesn't get it, but you were also 21 when you were diagnosed, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, and I, and she's done, um, she's, um, supported me in a lot of other ways, but I think in that, in that piece of like truly understanding and she might even understand, but I think it's difficult for her to, it might, I think it's difficult for her to accept that I am having a hard time. So I think that was, that comment might've mostly been for herself yeah she was talking to herself i was waiting for you to say that she's yeah, talking yeah she's yeah. talking to herself she's like oh my god my daughter's struggling with this thing that i don't know how to help her with that we can't make go away i mm-hmm. need to feel better about this at least you don't have cancer there, yeah yeah because that's yeah. what she that's what everybody means when they say that by the way uh but pretty much yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um 
it, it's uh yeah it's interesting isn't it are you close with your mom you're you're not yeah, right so well sort of as i explained growing up we were like this this tight-knit family um it, it, with the extended family included um then when we moved away it was kind of like our immediate family became even even closer and it was a little bit of this sort of like in group out group sort of thing mm-hmm. where it was like we we knew we knew the way we saw the world and we had a hard time understanding how other people saw the world i think based on like that as the foundation we were we were and are close i have since and it was it's it all started around the time that i was diagnosed Two weeks after I was diagnosed, I was set to go spend a summer leaving the country for the first time. Like I'd never left the country and I was going to go to Europe for a couple of months and I did it. And two weeks into diagnosis and um, that sort of combination of things like set me off in a bit of a different direction um, where I kind of realized like, oh, that in group that I was living in for so long is not really reality. There's, there's hard things that happen. There's diseases that happen. There's a whole world that lives differently than we live. And I sort of took that and run with, ran with it. And I've since chosen a very interesting lifestyle for myself, I guess. that's very different than my mom and dad's. And because of that, we have certainly grown apart. Ooh. I can't figure out what you're talking about. Is it, <laughs> is it, is it a social theory? Is it, it's not political. You said you're not very political. Is, well, it is a bit political there. I don't know. I'm not even going to say you don't have words, to. but I got you. I figured it out. They, um, hold on. They yeah. make some money. They still live in Northern California. They're getting older. Yeah. I yeah. got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. I figured it out. Go ahead. So there's, there's a pretty big political difference. Um, I have, you know, I, I live paycheck to paycheck, which sort of now seems like a bit of a choice for me since it's been going on for so long, but, um, (laughs) you're right by the way, but yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, I mean, hopefully like next year when I have a real career that doesn't happen, but did you just figure that out or did you know that already? (laughs) Uh, I think uh, I think this conversation has been enlightening for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Be honest, I could get through that uh, that grad thing for the counseling, right? Oh yeah, I'm good at this. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely, I feel- absolutely. I was like fully hoping this would be a good therapy session with Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start charging people forty dollars as a copay. <laughs> you should. You should. You should. Yeah, more than that. <laughs> it's easy. I can make more than 40. Hold on a second. What are we saying? <laughs> but, you know, but you know what I mean? Like I think you could do like 200. Yeah. Oh, hell. What am I doing over here making a podcast? Mm-hmm. I didn't know this. <laughs> I mean, for me, it feels obvious when people are talking. And I know I'm not always right, but this is this is it. Like, it, it's there are not that many different stories, I guess. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like, the way people are, the way they see the world, the way they... You know, like, I mean, we could go back and dig up the, like, the whole thing with your parents being super young and getting together. And then, mm-hmm. you know, like, it, it's just, you brought up that they were, like, the youngest in their families and big families. And yeah, it all makes sense. And you start making some money. And then you're like, I know what I'm doing. 
And like, mm-hmm. and then you're now you're young, you have some money, you have some kids and you start applying. How would I wish people would have treated me when I was a kid? Yes. And, and then they had the financial backing to go headlong into it, which obviously sent the three of you into like a, a hippie lifestyle where you're just like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to do I'm great <laughs> and I'm going to go do whatever I want. I'm a drummer. <laughs> OK, no one's a drummer. Yep. Stop it. You know who a dr- you know who's a drummer? Lars Ehrlich. You know why? Because he's wealthy from playing the drums. That man's a drummer. Okay. Your sister plays drums. You see what I'm saying? And, like, and, yeah, so, and I don't yeah. know your sister, but you know what I'm saying. And so, like, even with photography, like, I mean, were you Annie Leibowitz? No. No. But I, yeah. I will tell you, I had some pretty sweet gigs. Nice. I mean, let's just say I've met a lot of celebrities. But no, I mean, well, I, what's weird, Scott, is that like everyone has always supported me and told, me, I was good. Mm-hmm. And I really, really, really latch on to, I am like deathly afraid of criticism. Like it's, and that's, that's why I had my diabetes, all of that. Ah. But, but I really super appreciate praise and I will take it and run with it and make sure that I meet that expectation. If that, if that makes sense. Well, here, how about this? I, I will praise you for being a person who is interested in uh-huh. how their mind works. I'm not calling you old, but at 36 <laughs> for you not to just disappear down this rabbit hole and go, Shannon's terrific. Everything that happens is on purpose. This is the way the world mm-hmm. wants it to be for me. I, I think that's pretty cool that you're still thinking about it because I think most people by now would have just put blinders on and just run forward. And anybody that didn't praise mm-hmm. them or agreed with them would just have been written off as wrong. And I'm wondering why it's okay for me to talk to you this way. Is it because we have that, because you've been listening to the podcast for so long? I, I think so. I was thinking about that leading into it where I was like, oh yeah, I'm pretty much ready to tell Scott anything. Like I'm not gonna, you know, this is downloaded millions of times. And so your, your podcast, I mean, not mine, but I don't want to tell you things about certain people in my life that are very private, Sure, but more, more for them, not for me. Of course. But yeah, I, I leading into it, I was like, I, I can tell Scott anything that I can tell my own personal therapist. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just because for five years I've heard your voice. I've heard you respond to other people in a way that it's like realistic and and fun, but it's not like judgmental. Yeah, well, I don't really care. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, yeah. not that I don't <laughs> care about you. Like, I don't, I, I don't. I mean, in the end, it's your life. You know what I mean? Like, like, and and like we said earlier, if your feedback needs to be authentic and and honest, or it's meaningless. But like, uh-huh. it, but if you would have sat down with your mom and had this conversation, you wouldn't like some of the things I said. Um, or are you past that now? Oh, no, I'm not past that. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, your, no, I don't think I would have liked could your yeah, partner coming from get, her. Could your partner get away with talking to you like this? We're, we're working on that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's becoming better. Um, like I said, this, the school program has been therapeutic for me. I've recognized it's like created a whole new, I was already very self-aware person, but like, it's created a whole new world of self-awareness for me that I think 
I think we're him and I are tre- and we've been together for 10 years. Okay. Um, but we're, we're treading into territory that is becoming, you know, more open and honest and, and pushing me to, to be more introspective about how different our, our upbringings are, mm-hmm. um, and how, and, and, and our approach to life is and how, so, so certain things, yes. Um, no, I'm very, um, with most people, I would say I take very quick offense to most things <laughs> that are anywhere near critical or treading on that ter- territory. All I've learned so far today is that I got to get my wife to listen to this podcast for five years and then I can, <laughs> and then she, <laughs> then she'll and listen. then she'll open up then to she'll you. listen to me too. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, has she ever listened to an episode? I mean, I don't, I I, probably, I don't know. It's not, (laughs) not a thing we talk about, honestly. Um, Just in case. Hi, Kelly. (laughs) Oh my God. Can you imagine? Uh, She doesn't listen to me for sure. I mean, like she has the same reaction to me that you would have to your mom. I'm like, Hey, Mm -hmm. I think you should do this. She'd be like, that's not what I'm going to do. Like, (laughs) so, (laughs) but I think that's just, that's everybody, honestly. Um, you know, we, we have like tight personal relationships. You're not looking for the person who, you know, knows you to say something mm-hmm. that you don't want to mm-hmm. hear. Right. Because, yeah. yeah, right. Because if, I mean, you, you have to assume I've been talking to you for an hour. Have I figured mm-hmm. you, I've figured you out pretty well, right? Pretty well. You zeroed in pretty quick to the whole, the whole parent thing, which I wasn't expecting to talk about, but here we are. Yeah. Well. And I apologize. And... I apologize for that, but that seemed like the core of what oh, was no, happening. <laughs> yeah, but my point is, is that after twenty-seven years, you might think I know a couple things about my wife, right? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. But she don't want to hear that no. because uh, because I yeah. because she's like, uh oh, if he says something that that it's biting, I might mm-hmm. have to accept it as being honest and and true. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's the beauty of uh, of counseling or, or therapy. I think is that. And this is obviously not true across the board, but my personal experience was, okay, now I can finally, there's like this sort of neutral person um, that I don't have all this weird history and baggage with that I can just tell them. And then, and sort of like, same with you, like, I can just tell you things and it feels so good to just say them out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tell you also that like, I, um, part of some of that thing that I was talking earlier about having these very real world world experiences is that my, my partner is, um, I don't know if I should say it exactly, but, um, you don't have to say anything you don't want to Sean. Don't be uncomfortable, please. I'll just say that I've gone to group therapy where it's, it's like, that was actually the start for me where I had never gone to a uh, individual therapist, but I went to essentially Naranon, which I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's, it's like the same thing as Al-Anon, um, where it's the families and loved ones of addicts okay. and, um, and you go and you talk about, you think you're going to talk about the person in your life who is the addict. And that's not what it's about at all. You go in and you talk about yourself. You talk about how you are coping with things and how you want to change, um, not how you want that person to change. And that was, that was huge for me. That was a light 
switch just totally flipped in my brain. Um, and I forget why I started talking about this. You asked me something, mm. but, oh, I guess, um, talking to people who aren't close to you, like you were saying, like your wife or your mom talking to these complete strangers, you can tell them everything. And it just feels like a total weight gets lifted off of your shoulders. And that's why I think I became so interested in pursuing a career so that I could hopefully provide that space for other people. Hmm. Yeah. No, I, 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 I really hope you're able to do that for other people. It's um, yeah. obviously really needed. And um, I, I think also such an, um, such a, an, a clear, clear, description of it being the journey not the destination mm -hmm. you know because absolutely I, I used to listen to these conversations and think okay now we know all this what do we do about it but it turns out that the telling of it is what you do about it it, it it's not like you get to the end and there's a fix or i mean sometimes you know you stop talking to a person who's bad in your life or you stop acting a certain way but for the most part it's getting it out that leads you to the answer it's mm -hmm, it's not mm -hmm. usually it's not as cut and dry as I think people maybe would would expect without doing it. Like I'm going to go and this person's going to give me an answer and then I'll go home and do the thing and then it'll be better. And I don't think it works exactly like that. No, yeah. no, yeah. That's why I was saying earlier. It's not so much about telling people what the solution is and telling them what they should do and giving advice. It's it's just continuing to create awareness around it and and going yeah like you said kind of going on that that journey um which takes time it takes mm. a long time maybe a lifetime but and i just want to say too that my my partner is has been in recovery for a very 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 long time even though that's the case it's it's still not easy there's certain characteristics around addiction that just you know tend to carry into other parts of your life but i do want to say that he is actively working every day to to remain in recovery and those groups are, are really special to me yeah oh that's wonderful i'm glad you brought it up uh so other yeah. people other people can hear about it as well i mean yeah there's a real thing that happens for example if you're the child of an alcoholic like mm -hmm. that's that's mm -hmm. a, a, a difficult life to have um you don't realize and and you know honestly you're going to have some sort of a problem from any which way you were brought up. I'm sure like, you know, leave it to beaver kid was probably upset and those people seem lovely. So, you know, like, <laughs> it's, the, everything it, it's, it's not to say that like your parents or my parents did something so specifically wrong that they could have just done differently. It's just who they were. Right. And it's how the, it's how the soup shakes out when it's over. Honestly, like you throw in all the ingredients and you get what you get. Yeah. It's not like they had an option and they could have done something else. They only ever could react to the world around them and their situations the way they were going to. Like, that's pretty much it. You know what I mean? I don't know yeah. if that's of comfort to people or not. I would think it would be. <laughs> it, it, you got to be willing not to beat yourself up for it. Uh, my, for me, for you, I'm most worried about yeah. your personality and how it relates to your long-term health. Like, Yeah, so... Uh, I'm now uh, it's what's weird is that I've always been praised by my doctors about how 
amazing I do with diabetes. I got this like email from my endocrinologist and she's like, I just want to let you know that I work with people all the time who are really, really struggling. And it's really heartwarming for me to see somebody who's doing so well. So part of that is Scott, me projecting, trying to convince people that I'm doing so well, but also she does see my numbers. You know, I've had A1Cs in the fives and um, I listen to nearly every episode of the podcast and I'm looping, but it still really sucks. And it's still the, the health piece that I would be more worried about is not really so much the diabetes numbers and, and that sort of thing. It's my attitude, the way I act around my diabetes socially that I think causes so much stress for me. And that stress is, you know, not great. And I don't know how I think, again, it's it's a process. And it's getting better. But I still like I like I mentioned, I work in a cafe and I have, we have to wear these t shirts, and I get them extra large, so that mm, it covers my Omnipod and my Dexcom on my arms. Mm -hmm. Because if it didn't... Because, uh, yeah. What would happen? Go ahead. What would happen if it didn't? What if people saw it? So I have this idea that people are gonna... First of all, I guess one thought is that like in, in food service, customer service, like you interact with a lot of people and they tend to like you know, like you were saying, like a lot of people are just the same. They say the same things. Like they will say the same things to me over and over about it. If if I gave them the chance, I think they would do that. I also have had the thought like, because we have all these like incredible pastries and very high carb, high fat um, things. And I'm like, well, somebody's going to see that on me and they're not going to want to like, they're, it's going to like ruin their meal because they're going to think like, oh, now I'm going to get diabetes from eating this. Shannon, did that ever actually happen or is that just a worry? Uh, it's never happened, yeah. no. What other things actually, are you worrying about that never happened? You mean in life in general? Yeah, yeah. What else is? What else are you bothering yourself with that has never actually been a problem? That everybody hates me. <laughs> I like you. You seem lovely. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Delightful though? I, well, or... I don't know. I'll decide. You relax. We're not at the end yet. <laughs> um let's see go ahead you see what i'm saying though like you're just you're making you're making things up to be worried about definitely yeah and yeah i i have co-workers that i you know i've been since i've been off school for the summer i'm there like every day like 10 hours and like i don't say anything about diabetes the whole time like i i have co-workers who like maybe don't even know I have it. And so that's still like a thing in my life where I don't tell people about it because I'm so afraid. I don't care if you don't tell them about it. Like I, I care about the why you don't tell them about it. Like, like if you don't tell yeah. them because you don't want to tell them, that's fine. If you don't tell them because you're afraid that it's going to make them feel bad or they're going to ask you questions you don't want to hear or like all that stuff, then that's where I worry about it. That makes sense. Yeah, no, that's that's completely what it is. Like, I don't, I'm afraid of the questions. I'm afraid of what they'll think. Do you care what I'm they think? Yes. Why? I don't know. I wish I didn't. And I know yeah. you don't care what people think. <laughs> I mean, not so far, but I mean, it could happen eventually. But yeah, I mean, 
it's and it's not that I don't care what people think either. I do like I I wouldn't want to be a person who I don't know. I wouldn't want to be a trash person who people looked at and went, that's a trash person. Like, I wouldn't want mm-hmm. that. But if that was who I was, I wonder if I'd care. Probably not. And, yeah. and so is that a concern about what, oh, is that a concern about what they think of me? Or is that a concern about what I want for myself? So do you really care about them? Or do you care about what you really are? And you're afraid that if they say that to you, that's who you are then. Is that weird? Yes. Yes. Okay. You nailed it. Did I? Sorry. You talk yeah. a little faster than I better than Erica. pay you two, yeah, yeah. 200 bucks. Yeah. You talk a little faster than Erica. Erica gives me more time like because she's slower than I can. <laughs> my thoughts can come together better. Uh, but but I, I, don't, I don't think anything is generally about what we think it's about. Why would you care about what a random person who works in a cafe who you're not going to know for five minutes from now thinks about your health? Does that make sense? Yeah, because what they think becomes what I am. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't think that. That's yeah. not that's not true at all. But I get where you, yeah. I get where that comes from. If that's people's interpretation, then that must be what they see, and then perhaps that's what I am, and I don't even know it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But your mom told you you could be whatever you wanted. Why don't you just be what you want to be? <laughs> how come How come in the one part of your life where that advice would actually help you, you're not taking Help? It? I don't know. I can't believe we got to that. I know. <laughs> I mean. Jeez. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah. But so, yeah, I. Go ahead. Go ahead. So just take all of that off of like. Hey, I could be a photographer for the rest of my life, which obviously isn't going to be a thing. <laughs> and and um, apply that to the parts of your life where it would actually help you, because mm-hmm. you have that personality. You just put it in the wrong places. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Hmm. I wonder why that is. Yeah, but I just look. I've gotten better. I've gotten better at this of this idea of sharing with people but i'm still a long ways away from being healthy with it yeah did i bum that's you- where the, the health piece comes in go ahead did i just bum you out or were you just thinking about yourself which just happened why did my voice change you got real slow and you almost went in your own head for a minute <laughs> did, did i make you sad i didn't mean to no you didn't make me sad i was i, I knew that this conversation would be di- not difficult, but like real. Yeah. So I, I wasn't expecting that I would come out of this, you know, like totally feeling Giggly. great and happy. <laughs> yeah. But you should, you should though, because we, we really did like figure some things out that I think would be helpful for you, but I guess it's putting them into yes. practice. It's the issue. But what do, yeah, that's, that is the issue. So what do I, okay. Imagine you're me. Mm-hmm. Now I'm asking you to do what counselors really aren't supposed to do. Go ahead. Imagine you're me. You show up to work and I, I will say something. I change something, Scott, on my loop settings. I don't know what it was, but because I am freaking messing around with that stuff all the time. But about two months ago, I think I changed something with my loop settings. It finally eradicated 
the lows that I was having, and I'm talking like extreme lows. Like I have had so many lows and I, to the point where I was just like in my 15 years of diabetes, like I just get used to it. And I did something to where I'm not really having those lows anymore. But imagine you show up to work and you're 10 minutes into your shift at the cafe and your blood sugar starts going low. Like, what do you do? I mean, you eat something and take a minute, right? Do you like explain it to anybody? I mean, if it came up and it needed to be explained, then yeah. Like if somebody came out to me and went, hey, Shannon, what the hell are you doing? We're supposed to be working. I'd say mm-hmm. my, my blood sugar's low. I've eaten something and I'm, I need to wait for a minute until I'm okay. Mm-hmm. But if you wouldn't be weirded out about, you know, maybe they're going to ask me questions I don't want to answer. <laughs> me or you if i'm you i see that i if would be <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean if i'm yeah. you i'm like i'm like uh-oh i'm not perfect uh-huh. my mom told me i was perfect these people are going to find out i'm not perfect i've been living this uh, on a uh i've I built this like tower of lies up and it's all going to fall down mm-hmm. on me and then i'm going to mm-hmm. realize i'm not perfect and then what happens <laughs> is that about right yep yeah but then what happens is you're Blood sugar comes back up, but you still work at the cafe and you're still you. Nothing happens. Yeah. Nothing, nothing yeah, I happens. Have, I know we've been on the call for a long time, but I want to tell a quick story about how. Can I finish um, before? Let me finish the thought before. before oh my God. I'm sorry. No, no, Go don't, ahead. don't be sorry. I want to hear your story. No one cares. The world, the world doesn't care. Like, do, do you know but what happens? They, happen? make, do, they you know make jokes ha- about it. It's like the brunt of jokes and they think it's funny they think diabetes is funny who who does a lot like i feel like a lot of people do you hear them all no i've only heard like one or two okay so who cares (laughs) like like you know you know what's interesting this thing happened yesterday i have this my whole life i think Sinead O'Connor is a is an accom- accomplished musician who who is a great singer, right? Did you Wikipedia her yesterday? No, 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 no. And I and I know and I know her. I I, I feel like I know her music, right? And yeah. I feel like I know she's been an activist in her younger years, and that recently mm-hmm. she seems like she's had some trouble and seemed unbalanced at some points. And mm-hmm. so and so yesterday I learned that um that she's died. And yeah. and it, I, it takes me five seconds to noodle around on the internet and learn that her 17-year-old son committed suicide last year, that she seemed erratic yeah. to people on social media the day before, and I jumped to the conclusion this woman's probably taken her own life, right? Because she's mm-hmm. 56. I did too, yeah. Right, right. And I, it made me go listen to, I was in the car, and I thought, I'm going to listen to Sinead O'Connor music, and I pulled it on because I thought she's so popular and 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 good that she must have all this great i know one Sinead o'connor song yep that's yep. it same here yeah, yeah. Th- this same exact thing happened to me yesterday <laughs> right one i know one and i listened to it and i went this is fine and i thought like did she spend her whole life worried that people would like her music or not like her music or mm-hmm. like you know like like all these unimportant things because turns out i don't know any of her music but I'm aware of who she is. I like. I don't really know anything about her, and mm-hmm. so my opinion of her is meaningless. But but did it somehow carry weight with her? Like, what does the world think about me? I don't know. Like, these are 
somehow disconnected and connected at the same time. Because if someone's off making a joke about diabetes, does that really have anything to do with you? Because you're not Sinead O'Connor. No. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, you haven't been on Saturday Night Live. Like, nobody really knows who you are. Yeah, n- nobody really cares. But right. I somehow care what, what they think. So even though nobody knows who you are, and they are not making any personal statements about you, you're worried that their statements are about you? Yeah. And that mm-hmm. matters to you? Yes. Okay. It matters. Mm-hmm. With, with some things, with, with a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. But as we talk about it, you recognize they're not talking to you or about you. No, but I, I guess my biggest fear is, is that, like, as I accept more that, that diabetes is difficult and that it has really affected my life in a lot of ways, I'm afraid that no one will grasp the depth of that and that they'll just think that it's it's some silly disease or easy or something. And why does that matter? I have no idea. Okay. But it but it does. Hmm. Um Okay. Oh, yeah, I'm not arguing I'm not arguing with you. I just I don't understand why it, no, I don't no, understand. Yeah. I, it's definitely a, a valid question, and I, I wish I knew the answer, but I do want to say Nothing Compares to You came out when I was three years old, mm-hmm. and I think it was the first song I was ever, like, really, I'm very, like, musically oriented. I love, you know, I love to sing, and sure. but it was, like, the first song I was ever, like, really captivated by in life, and I remember I went to... I went with my mom. She was going to get her her hair cut or whatever, and I told the the hairdresser that I wanted to shave my head. And she's like, "Why do you want to do that?" And she's like, "Cause I was like, cause I want to be like Sinead O'Connor. Like I'm like this like three or four year old kid saying this." Mm-hmm. And um, and she's like, "Okay, well, sing the song for me." And I did. Um, so that's my Sinead memory. <laughs> um, but it truly is the only song that I know. <laughs> okay, it's the only song any of us know. That's that's fine. My point about and I didn't. Sinead- my, I didn't shave my head. <laughs> yeah, my, my point about her is just because she was in my consciousness from yesterday. And mm-hmm. and um that yeah. I felt like I knew a lot about her, but it turns out I don't. And I wonder if she spent time thinking people know who I am or right. I need to do more so that they can like it's all the same. Like you in your personal life and a person being famous are experiencing the same thing just on different scales. Right. So there's this really, um, like, so I make a podcast, okay? Yeah. Now, it's downloaded a lot, but not nearly as much as other people's. So the way I like to tell people in my personal life, I don't know if I usually say this on here, but this podcast is in the top 96% of all podcasts that exist, which is astonishing. Until you really. But you feel inclined to tell them that. So you must care that they don't think that you're just like some random guy with a podcast. Or I'm telling you a story. You haven't got to get to the end of it yet. So like, so um, (laughs) so, uh, my my point in telling you that is that it feels like it's this really big thing, except that the 4% of people or the 3% of people who have podcasts that do better than mine, to them, my podcast looks like a hobby. Uh You, You understand? Like, so I. I have this feeling that I'm reaching a lot of people, but I'm not really not in the grand scale scheme of things. And at the same time, there's this thing that comes over you in the beginning where 
do people like this? Are they blah, blah? And you have to let go of all that. Like if you want to be successful at podcasting, for example, mm-hmm. you can't worry about what people think because in the end, I'm only trying to be there for the people who like what I do. If I tried to be acceptable to everybody, if I wanted to make sure that from the far left to the far right and everybody in between mm-hmm. and every religion and culture and everybody loved me, what I would end up doing is making something so milk toast that it didn't matter and it would die. Like you can't Which make, there are plenty of those. Right. But hold on, we're getting to it. You can't make everybody happy. You can only be you. Now mm-hmm. take that and apply it to yourself. I will do my darndest. That's it. I'm tr- I I have been trying. Like I I think at least I'm aware at this point that this is not a way to live, you know? That's yeah. not sustainable because it doesn't doesn't feel good to not because because I feel inauthentic if I if I just present one version of myself and am not talking about the hard things it's not it's not authentic yeah you know you need to be yourself like like so my audience right the people who either are helped by me or find value in it or entertained or like me or whatever it is that who it doesn't matter whatever brings them back all the time those are the people that i that i care about right like and that's a large group of people which was my Mm -hmm. point about telling you the 90 like well my point is is that if you go out into the world and be yourself you'll probably be in the 96 percentile of people who like you most people will probably like shannon and probably mm-hmm. not care when they when you say something that doesn't seem perfect because i don't make any effort to be perfect on the podcast right like i say things all the time that people are like i can't believe you said that and i go yeah this is probably mm-hmm. not this is probably not for you this podcast like if yeah. you're if you're not okay with that you probably want something else. You should go get that. Don't sit around telling me you don't like me. That's, I mean, it's cool if you don't, but we don't belong together then. Uh-huh. The concern probably is, is that most people won't like you. But what I'm telling you is that there's a big enough audience in the world that you will, you'll do fine. And, and I mean that even within your personal, I'm trying to relate these two things together. Like in your, mm-hmm. in your personal relationships, most people are going to end up liking you the ones that don't will go away and the ones that do will stay behind and you'll be great like that's like there's no real fear like this is going to go wrong like but you you're worried about it going wrong yeah i don't i just don't believe that 96 percent of people are gonna like me like i don't why not i i don't believe it like i i believe they're are so many things I can do in th- in a split second that will just make somebody not like me. Mm. And it's just like always there. It's just a looming thing that's always there for me. Have, have you and ever heard I'm, me? I'm like a nice person. I'm a fun, I, you know, I can be like, I have a sense of humor. Like I can, I, it's not like I have real reason to think this, mm-hmm. I, yeah, but apparently I do. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I if if you've heard me say this, I guess stop me. But when I was first dating my wife, she very earnestly said to me one day, she goes, "Some people really don't like you." And I uh-huh. said, uh, "Yeah, I wouldn't expect everybody to like me." 
And she said, does that not bother you? And I said, no. She goes, well, other people mm -hmm. really do seem to like you. And I was like, yeah. She goes, and as a matter of fact, either people seem to really like you or really not like you. And I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. that, that makes sense. And then she pointed out a person and said, like, this guy, I remember, he really doesn't like you. And I said, uh, what do you think of him? And she started talking about him. He wasn't a pleasant person, you know, number of different reasons. And I said, well, then mm -hmm. what would it say about me if he did like me? <laughs> I mean, isn't it good that that person's not attracted to who I am? Yeah. You know, why does any of that matter? I don't know. It's probably got something to do with your parents telling you you were terrific. Something to do with that. And yeah. I would just say it's absolutely something to strive for. I think. I think you've got it right. Maybe count your lucky stars that that's the sort of oh, I do. mindset you go into yeah, yeah, no, the I world do. with. I got to bring my foot back down. Sorry. Sorry. Um, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I absolutely do. I don't want to come off blasé about it. I think just like good health or good mental health mm -hmm. or any of the other height, you know what I mean? Um, like I, the things you get lucky with. You are just getting lucky with. This is just how my brain works. Yeah. I can't do anything about it. Um, I would just say to you that I think you're you you seem delightful. You're not perfect. Ah, I but, got it. But, yeah. but you're not perfect, <laughs> and that should be okay. Yeah. And everybody's not going to like be down with Shannon, but who cares? Like that, like because otherwise, and this is the harsh reality of it. You're 36. Mm -hmm. You don't live forever. No. Is this your story? You spend your whole life doing this? You know what I mean? Like th that's a I like that. That's a good that kind of flipped a switch. Yeah. There. Like just mm -hmm. like be done with it. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It, it is ridiculous. Yeah. It's it's no different than spending I know a person spends their whole life smoking cigarettes, going, I gotta stop smoking cigarettes. I gotta stop smoking cigarettes. Mm -hmm. Just stop smoking cigarettes. Like <laughs> what the hell? Like how how much longer are we gonna talk about it? Like do yeah. like either do it or don't. And, yeah. and, and if you don't, then dive in head first and just say to yourself, I'm going to smoke this cigarette. I'm going to suck it like a, and, and then I just, <laughs> until it kills me and I'm going to be happy about it. I'm going to make a, a big sign that says, I did this to myself. I wanted this. Don't feel bad for me. Like, like do it or don't do it. And, and, it, but like the sitting around ruminating is. Yeah. The uh, ruminating. It's exhausting. You, you know, like, like, isn't it exhausting to you? At, oh, it's so exhausting. And that's what I talk about. The stress that surrounds that mm -hmm. is is what's going to health-wise take more out of me than probably the diabetes numbers. Yeah, yeah. And and that's so silly. Um, so, so, Shannon, But I wanted... Yeah, go uh, ahead. I'm gonna, your story we're going to end with, okay? But I want to say this to you and then just do with it what you will. The the truth is that people come on the show and they, they'll lay down a track like the one you've done with me today, right? And it's mm -hmm. going to help a lot of people. My concern is always that it never ends up helping the person who recorded the episode. <laughs> and so don't let that be your story, please. Like when, when this comes out, go back and listen to it and pretend it's not okay. you. Just listen to it like it's someone else. Because as okay. you're listening, you're going to think, oh, Shannon, come on. Like, just, you know what I mean? Like, you know what to do, Shannon. Just do that. Like, like right here, like, that's a decision you made. Like, don't make that decision. Like, those sorts yeah. of things. Like, I am very fond of the phrase, that person wants to be upset. And it doesn't really mean that people want to be upset. It means they're comfortable there. It, it's the place they want to be. 
And you're comfortable in this position. You don't like it and you wish it was different, but it's what you know. And therefore you don't, maybe it doesn't feel like it's that important to break away from, but I think Mm -hmm. it, I think it is. So, and I think you'll be a much better clinician when you graduate, if you figure out a way to do that for yourself as well. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. That's all. I agree. I'm done. I think it's important. I got nothing else. Um, What's your story? <laughs> yeah, no, I I just thought this popped into my head earlier. I forget what it was we were talking about, but in at, at school we um were doing this. We I had this one class where we basically broke out into partners. Uh, we change change the partners once in a while throughout the semester and work with different people. But basically, we would do like live counseling sessions with each other for about five minutes in front of the entire class. Mm-hmm. We're about three quarters of the way through the semester. We change partners and I start working with this woman who um, I've had a few classes with. Um, her and I had never really talked. She is, she has um, some vision disability. Um, she's not, um, she's not blind, but she has a lot of different things going on with her vision. And we started talking and my professor kind of had us do some icebreakers beforehand, before we were going to like go into this counseling session with each other. And it was sort of, I forget what the prompt was, but it was sort of something like, you know, tell me two things I don't know about you. And I finally just decided to say it because she had told me that with her vision, um, the way her eyes look, it looks different and scary to people. And so she feels as though she gets a lot of uh, weird reactions from strangers. If she tries to ask somebody directions or the time, you know, they, they act weird towards her. And I wanted to sort of, I guess, commiserate along with her. And Mm -hmm. I told her about how, yeah, I'm type one diabetic and I have a real problem too with telling people about my diabetes because I'm afraid of their reactions. And she was floored. She was like, what? And she's like, I had no idea that you had diabetes. I had no idea that something like that would affect you, that you would be affected by by what other people think. Mm -hmm. Because she said, and then she kind of, we shared out loud with the class, like what we found in our icebreaker activities. And she's like, yeah, you guys know Shannon who comes in here like, hey, I'm Shannon. And like, I'm like very self-assured and self-confident. Well, it turns out she's actually not. <laughs> hearing, somebody, hearing somebody say that out loud to me was like, I had no idea people thought of me like that, first of all. I didn't know that I came into situations like that. So it was just very, I guess, very eye-opening that that is the persona I project and that when I finally tell somebody the truth, the God honest truth about how I'm feeling, it's like this person who I never really talked to her throughout our classes. She all of a sudden warmed up to me and she wanted to be like friendly with me and wanted to know more about me. And it was sort of just like this lesson and like, okay, well, you know, that authenticity that I was talking about, if I'm finally just am authentic with people, maybe, maybe I've been getting in my own way of people liking me because I don't show my authentic self. I don't talk about the hard things. So that's it. Maybe. (laughs) 
I mean, Maybe. Shannon, it turns out the whole podcast could have been just the last two minutes and we would have been done. Yeah. <laughs> That's really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, go with that. Yeah. Yeah. Go with that. Just, yeah. I mean, you already know how to project like your success. Obviously, people see you that way. So now all you have to really do is be the person you're projecting and you're done. And now you have the confidence to know that people will like that no matter what the truth is about you. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. So it was definitely insightful to hear that. And I, you know, that was a couple of months ago now. And I think I've been trying to kind of like internalize it more. And that is my goal as, you know, as you were saying, as a clinician to go through this whole process myself of figuring out how to come out of this, these patterns and stuff that I've created in my world yeah. and then how to help other people apply that to their own life. If you know, so yeah, sounds like a plan to me. <laughs> yeah, it really did. Also who knew that the, um, that the uh, education system for clini- for clinicians for this was taking advantage of knowing, like, we know who comes into this space. We'll actually help fix them while we're teaching them. <laughs> then- yep, yeah. <laughs> Kill two birds with one stone. It's great. <laughs> you know, the entire time we've been talking, no matter how serious this conversation has been, I am somewhat um, stuck on the idea of your dad being so smitten by your mom when they were little that he was like, I don't need to graduate <laughs> from high school. Uh, well, they are accelerating their 40 year anniversary this week or next weekend. So we're all going, all three vagabond children are going to celebrate with them and their two grandkids too. And so yeah, congrats to them. Oh, that's huge. It really who is. Needs, who needs a high school diploma anyway? No, really? <laughs> yeah. He's still so like smitten with her and like, Oh, the things that that man does for my mom. Wow. That's lovely. Isn't that nice? Uh, <laughs> all right. Sure. Well, listen, you got a guy for 10 years. You're not even married to him. And he doesn't leave. Uh, true. Yeah. He's had so many good reasons to. And he's um, he's a champ with the, the diabetes stuff, too. So, Oh, that's lovely. Well, you must have uh, yeah. you must have tricked him like your mom tricked your dad. Yep. Yep. It's hereditary. Smoke and mirrors. All smoke <laughs> and mirrors. All right. Hold on for a second, would you? Okay. Thanks. Today's episode of the Juicebox podcast is sponsored by the Dexcom G7, which now integrates with the Tandem T-Slim X2 system. Learn more and get started today at Dexcom.com slash Juicebox. Arden has been getting her diabetes supplies from US Med for three years. You can as well. USMed.com slash Juicebox or call 888-721-1514. My thanks to US Med for sponsoring this episode and for being longtime sponsors of the Juicebox podcast. There are links in the show notes and links at juiceboxpodcast.com to US Med and all of the sponsors. If you're not already subscribed or following in your favorite audio app, please take the time now to do that. It really helps the show. And get those automatic downloads set up so you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast. The episode you just heard was professionally edited by Wrong Way Recording. WrongWayRecording.com.